that. But let's pray this morning. This morning we're going to start a kick off a series called God's Last Day Forecast. It's going to be a seven-week series uh, coming up. Uh, we'll t- run us through till Easter. And on Sunday mornings, we're just going to deliver the Word uh, straight forth. The Word's in red. Uh, but on Sunday nights, we're going to be doing some uh, deeper teaching. Uh, we're going to go in through the, what is the rapture, what is the second coming, the great tribulation, and those types of things over the next several Sunday nights. And tonight, I'm really excited to share a vision God gave uh, to me many years ago about uh, that, the end and what it will be like. So tonight, we're going to talk about a church on vacation. Uh, but this morning, we'll kick it off. Uh, and let's pray, though, because I believe God really wants to stir up His church in these last days. Amen. Father God, we thank You today in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank You for life. Uh, abundantly in you. And Lord, I pray over the next few moments, God, as we enter into this season, uh, we are anticipating your soon second coming, God, that you would stir us up, that you would invigorate us, God, fill us with the divine power of the Holy Spirit, God, that not only would we have the boldness and the, uh, the power of God to come down in these last days, but that we would live righteously, God, that we would live rightly by, and walk in the step with the Holy Spirit, God, that you would awaken your church to to preach the gospel and to make disciples and, and to go out and, Lord, not just be bench warmers or just people who come to church, but, God, people who are so on fire for the things that God has in store for His people that we could not help but tell our neighbors, our friends, we could not help but say no to sin uh, and yes to the plans of God. And we would be a people so invested in building up the church because we truly do believe, God, this may be the last few days God, before your final return, and may we live that way, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Somebody said, Amen. 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 Got your Bibles with me this morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. The title of this morning's sermon is God's Forecast. God's Last Day's Forecast. In part one this morning, we will title The Days of Noah. And we're really going to be talking uh, over the next several weeks about God's promise and God's power to a prepared people. A lot of P's in there. But His promise and His power to a prepared people. His people who are prepared. He has given great promises to to come back, but He's just given us a power to live rightly until He does. Um, but uh, y'all noticed the odd weather changes this weekend, right? It was freezing last week. Now it's supposed to be up in upper 70s, uh, warm this weekend. You know, uh, years ago... Uh, men looked up to the moon and the stars for signs and seasons, right? Uh, if you're on a, a ship going across the ocean, you'd, you'd look at the stars and you'd look at the weather. Uh, you could even, uh, p- farmers, not too long ago, would go out at night and look at the moon. And what did you used to see? If there was rain coming, you'd see a, a ring around the moon. And the brighter the ring, the chance for rain in the next, I think, 12 to 48 hours was great. Uh, but today, what do we have? We've got computer models, We've got computer models, and Lord knows those things are not always right, right? Uh, In Louisiana, especially in the morning, you need a a sweater and a a jacket, and then in the evening, you need shorts and a t-shirt, you know, here uh, in the South. Sometimes they're quite often wrong, and and one article wrote this, that uh, even though we have these computer models, they're not 100%, so what weathermen do today is uh, they failed so often forecasting the weather that they now hide behind such statements as uh, there's a 10 or a 20% chance of rain today, right? So if it rains, they were right, right? They're, they're, they're safe in their prediction. There was a one British weatherman who became infamous. Uh, I think it was in uh, October 15, 1987. 
He said during a forecast, and he said this, he said, earlier on today, apparently a woman called and rang the, the BBC. We're talking about Britain today. And she said she heard there was a hurricane on the way. And the man said, well, if you're watching, have no fear. Uh, don't worry, there isn't. That evening, there was no hurricane, but the worst storm to hit southeast England hit that night in three centuries. The worst storm in three centuries caused a record damage, killed 19 people. And because of that error in broadcasting today, uh, British newscasters are more likely to give you the severity of the report uh, than been error on being wrong and avoid being called out. They're going to give us the worst case scenario. You know, uh, before he left, Jesus Christ gave us his own forecast, his own prediction of not only what would happen, but that he would return. And he, turn with me, Matthew 24, verse 32. His own forecast, and he called it the parable of the fig tree. We call it today the parable of, parable of the fig tree. Matthew 24, verse 32. I'm reading in the New American Standard. Now learn the parable from the pig, fig tree. When its branch has already, already become tender and it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near Right at the door. Somebody say, he is, near. he is near. He is near right at the door. You know, even when uh, Jesus walked the earth, people were asking, when would the final day be? Uh, if you look in the Old Testament, you're going to hear a lot of things about the, uh, the last day or the God's, God's day of judgment or uh, the day of the Lord. People even were asking Jesus, when is God's kingdom coming? When is, when is this thing going to end? You know, we have a Genesis story, but what's the end story? We, if we believe the world was created and God began it uh, in this time that we have, when is time going to end and God going to redeem us and, and rescue Israel and, and set the nation and right and bring order to all this sin and stop this mess? I think people are still asking the same thing today, and, and I think we as the church are asking, God, when are you coming back? And this has been going on since the days of Jesus. And he says, now, you're gonna, I'm going to tell you about all these things. When you recognize all these things, know I'm at the door. The Bible says that no one knows the day or the hour of his return, but he'll return when the world will not think he's coming back. Matthew 24, 36, and 44. He's not, nobody knows when it's going to be, not even the angels in heaven, uh, but he's going to come when no one in the world, most people in the world, are not really expecting it. And it's not going to be a 10% chance. It's not going to be a 20% chance. It's a 100% chance. Jesus is coming back. Somebody say amen. 100%. It's not a maybe or a when or, or, or a perhaps or an if. He is coming. He's coming. And he gave his church some early warning signs, a forecast, if you will, some weather predictions. Uh, and years after he left, we see even what we have happening here today, that as the early church was uh, seeing the apostles' age and the apostles were dying and Jesus has gone, uh, there was a need to stir up and remind the church. And that's exactly why Peter wrote his epistle, uh, the second letter, his second epistle. He wrote in there, he said, I'm writing to remind you and to stir you up things to remembrance, the things that the prophets said long ago and things that Jesus said to remind you and stir up the Holy Spirit within you because Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. What would it be like in the last days? And what, 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 what must we do? 
What must we do? Because, and, and I ask in a second question, what Jesus Christ, what did he promise to do? He's promised he would return to judge the world and save the righteous, but until then he gives us a power to a prepared people. Our main text this morning, Matthew 24, verse 37. Look there with me. We've got some early warning signs. I'm praying that over the next several weeks, God would stir us up and remind us that we would live with this remembrance to know that we are think, there are things that we must do to survive these last days. And there is a promise of things that God has said He would do, and that is to return to save us and that to give us power until He comes. And Because he, he said in Matthew 24, verse 37, here we go this morning, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Stop right there. Will be just like the days of Noah. What does this mean? Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 11. We look back at the days of Noah. Anybody remember this story from Sunday school? Or maybe you've read this yourself. In the days of Noah, God looked upon the earth and he saw that it was intensely wicked. He saw that every heart on every man was continually and only thinking of wicked things. I can't even imagine. It's really bad today. But in the days of Noah, every man all day long, every woman, every child, every youth was thinking only of sinful, selfish things. The world was in chaos, murder, rape, violence, wars, famines, pestilence. The, the, the earth was dying because men had rebelled against God's natural order. And God had to take a sin, and God judged the world, and He condemned it to die, everything on land by a great flood. And on the, He found a man named Noah. All right, and that's kind of where we are. He says, it will be just like it was then, before the flood. They were continually, completely evil. The earth was corrupt and filled with violence. Everybody say violence, because that's a key word here. We're going to look at that in a second. But God judged it. And he saved by his grace a man named Noah and his family, a righteous man, and called him to build up a vessel of salvation, the ark. You and I today are called to build up a vessel. It's called the church. It's the vessel of salvation that houses the saints waiting for God's final day. And if we are not on that ark in the church, we will not make the second judgment, uh, the second coming. But let's read this in context. Matthew 24, look at verse 4 through 14. All right, the days of Noah. Okay, Jesus is telling us this before he's leaving. He's reminding his uh, uh, disciples uh, on the Mount of Olives here. He's he's challenging them to prepare for what's coming ahead. He says, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened for those things must take place. But it's not the end yet. For a nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there'll be famines and earthquakes, and all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. And they'll deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my namesake. How many want to be a Christian today? Amen. This is, some, is this good news? And he says, At that time many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And because lawlessness has increased most people's love, it'll grow cold. But the one who endures to the end... Somebody say endure. Those who endure to the end will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I believe Jesus was speaking prophetically and He was speaking declaratively. Now all this bad stuff's going to happen, but I'm going to tell you what. The gospel 
is going to be preached, and I'm coming back. Now, look at these things. I've done some studies this morning, and Jesus was not really trying to tell his disciples the ABCDs of how it's all going to happen, who's going to rise and who's going to fall, or, or here's the specifics, right? He's trying to prepare them with a, a spirit of uh, the Holy Spirit to come inside of them and stir up something that's going to get them through some of the hardest times in the history of the world. And the days that they lived in in the first century were not different. They weren't the worst and they weren't the best. It hasn't really changed a whole lot since Jesus uh, left this world. And he is telling them, uh, all of these guys, he knows, except for John, they're all going to be killed. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them were drugged behind a, a horse cart with hooks in them. Some of them had their skin filleted off. And some of them were boiled. And some of them were cut in half. I mean, this is not a pretty picture. And he's saying, I've got to give you something. There's something you've got to receive from me. This power of the Holy Spirit that's going to get you through times like that. Because you've got to preach the gospel. Amen? Now, there's some weather patterns, though. I want to bring these out. And I've listed uh, the major weather patterns that you can see in this passage. And this is linked in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All of them will say these same things. But there are some broad themes, broad themes, major, major weather patterns. Number one, false prophets and saviors. These are those that try to seduce believers through slick words and great signs. Uh, and it may not even be what you might think today uh, as uh, someone who would say that they're a savior, but uh, those that we look to for a, a pathway to health and wholeness and security, those people that follow other people. You could think of it as a celebrity uh, could be a savior for so many people that they identify with that person. They follow them. They give their life to follow them around the country, listening to their music. They buy their products. They, they, they are looking to that person for security and salvation. And there'll be many falsehoods, false ways to peace, false ways to security, false ways to happiness arise in the last day. And, and you know, today it's estimated that 95% of those who raise their hand in an altar call and those who come forward will not be in the church within six months. Did you know that? 95% of people who will raise their hand or will submit to an altar call will not make it because there are too many things drawing their attention away. And it's just a raising of a hand. It's just a prayer. But it's not a born-again experience. So there's the falsehood. He says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. What this means is it says that basically you will be continually hearing of conflict in the last days. Uh, think of it this way. Uh, your news feed on Facebook or the, your news feed on your phone will be full of war. But it doesn't necessarily mean there has to be conflict. It could also mean that you'll be hearing of the possibilities of war. Never before have we been so... This has never been possible until the last hundred years with worldwide media. We can hear of a conflict going on in the Congo this morning. We can hear of something going on in, in Australia. We can hear of things going on in Europe and Russia. And there is an atmosphere in the world today that is saturated. And you know, statistics will tell us that we, there's less murder, less crime. But yet, we don't feel that in the world today. It feels less secure. It feels most uneasy. And that's only possible recently because of worldwide media. And so he says there's be this, this rumor of war. There's always this sense of that something bad is going to happen. That will be as if the last days. Now, those of you who grew up decades ago know it did not used to be that way. You could go to the store, buy a candy bar and a lollipop, and it was, you know, the Beverly... Uh, Hillbillies are on, and, you know, Andy Griffith was the real life, right? But today, we wouldn't walk down the street and anywhere without packing, right? 
And there's this insecurity. And there are constant feeds of war, and it, it feeds mankind. Did you know, however, that 12, 12 of the world's 29 deadliest wars have happened just in the last 100 years? That's 41%. Now, people have grown, so has technology, right? We, one man can come, and he can wipe out 20 people in a movie theater. That's never been possible before till now. It's saying that in these last days, you're going to see it on a whole new scale. It's a whole new scale. And, and it amazes me. And I'm going to focus in the next few moments just on the last hundred years. I'm going to show you how lo- the last hundred years is really changed in the history of humanity. Now watch this. In the last hundred years, we have seen 41% of the world's deadliest wars. That's possible because of technology, Right? And population increased. The deadliest war by far in the history of the universe uh, was World War II. 50 to 80 million people killed with 6 million Jews included. If you see a graph, and I didn't show it to you today, but you could see all the wars, and it would jump like this. And World War II is like up here. Uh, it, It is unparalleled, the death of World War II. That's just happened in the last 100 years. My family moved from Germany after World War II. I mean, I have roots connected to that war. I mean, it's not people growing up now and the young, young people and youth, they think, oh, that's a long time ago. But for many people, that's just recent, right? That's part of this last hundred years. It says there'll be unnatural disasters. Do you know that since Jesus, the population of man has steadily grown, but so has sin. People are now going to all parts of the globe, and statisticians would argue against me this morning and saying, well, the reason we have more natural disasters and deadly things reported is because men are living in, in islands and coastal places more than they ever had before. But that doesn't make any sense when you look at the facts. That the ten deadliest natural disasters in the world have occurred since the time of Jesus. Since he said these word, we've, words, we've had the ten most deadliest natural disasters. Yet half of them have occurred just in the last hundred years. Half of, the, half of them have occurred in the last 100 years. That's not counting plague and famine. And it doesn't include major events with uh, lower death tolls like we would see unusual hurricanes like Katrina. Uh, it doesn't include those. If you would include plagues and famines, it is 20 out of 25 of the worst major disasters have happened in the last 100 years. And yet the world continues on as if nothing odd is happening. In the last 100 years since 1990, we have seen 7 out of the 10 world's deadliest blizzards. Since 1900, we have seen five out of the ten world's deadliest floods and landslides. We have seen six out of ten of the world's deadliest avalanches and six out of ten of the world's deadliest wildfires just in the last hundred years. In the last hundred years, we have seen 13 of the world's deadliest earthquakes. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. We think about the 2004 tsunami in Indonesia. took 230,000 people. 2010, God is waking us up again in Haiti, one of the most uh, uh, wicked places in our, in our hemisphere, full of voodoo and violence and corruption. 160,000 people lost their lives because the world is groaning for that redemption. Tribulation and betrayal is the last one. It's estimated that 70 million Christians have been martyred since the day Jesus said these words. 70 million Through global conflicts and wars, we think about communism wiping over China and and Russia. Many millions of Christians were killed. Today, it's estimated that on a yearly basis, 7 to 10,000 Christians are martyred each year. But that does not include the new numbers of ISIS and ISIL or whatever one you want to call it, the Middle East turmoil, which has increased that number significantly. Jesus has coming soon. 
There have been more Christians martyred in the last 100 years for their faith than since Jesus Christ came and you combined it all together. The last 100 years, the church has seen the most intensive persecution in the history of the world. And somebody, we've got to wake up, church. It's time to get on the ball of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, of living a holy life. The Bible says, seeing they will not see and hearing they will not hear. The National Weather Service issued a bulletin for New Orleans at 11 p.m. on August 26th for an early prediction of a direct hurricane for Katrina. Years before that report, multiple publications and magazines predicted that if a direct hit would occur, there would be 20-foot flooding and it would kill 10% of those in New Orleans. At 10 p.m. on August 27th, a warning was issued of direct landfall for Katrina, a Category 5 hurricane at the time. It was described later as one of the most chilling bulletins from the National Weather Service ever issued. Yet despite all of those notices, many agencies and residents failed to respond, and Katrina hit on August 29th, as many of you know, Category 3, became the costliest natural disaster in one of the five deadliest hurricanes in the history of the United States with at least 1,245 people who died. Seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, spiritually speaking, the world is no different. They can hear it, they can see it, they can know that it's coming, but still many will not pack up their bags and get ready. Think about this today. The Bible says that before the flood, Matthew 24, verse 38, says that before the flood, and this, this passage has stuck with me, and I'm going to explain it all a little bit more tonight. You don't want to miss tonight, because I'm going to really emphasize this one, these verses, Matthew 28, uh, 24, 38 through 39. It says, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not understand until the flood came and took them away. So will it be when the coming of the Son of Man They will not understand until it is too late. Men will be full of sinful pleasures. It will be like a drunken party to them, rooted in the pride of life, Peter tells us. It will be the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes that drives this world. People will be suffering in their wrongs. They'll be like, why is my life working out this way? Why is this guy leaving me? And why is my marriage falling apart? And why do I not feel happy or peace? And why do I don't like my life? And why do I'm in depression all the time? And why am I sick all the time? And why is all these bad things happening to me? But yet they will never change the way they live. Despite the bad consequences, many in this world will not listen to the gospel and turn their life to God. And many will not heed the warnings just as in Noah's days when it's too late. But there are three things I want to give you today before we leave. Three things from this news that we are called to be, church. Three things that God, I believe, is wanting to stir us up and remind us to get ready. He is coming. If you don't listen to the stats, the stats alone move me. But listen to the words in red. He said he was coming 2,000 years ago. It's only getting sooner. You know what I mean? It's only getting sooner. Three things we must be in the days of Noah. And we're going to look at the life of Noah. And I'm going to tell you three things. If you want to be like Noah, a man who built the ark and who listened to God in a day of wickedness, three things you must be is, number one, you must be an obedient son and daughter. We must be obedient sons and daughters. You know, Noah lived like a day in a day like today. You look at it and you're like, how is this man saved? 
the Bible calls him in, in Genesis chapter uh, 6, verse 8, says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And verse 9, that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and that Noah walked with God. How can we be righteous in a day such as this? How can we be blameless and above reproach? How can we uh, and, and teach our children how to walk with God and be the only one in the school system? that walks with God, the only person in their classroom that walks with God, the only person on that oil field, listen to me, man, the only man on that oil rig who's walking with God, Noah did it. I'm going to tell you, it's possible for every single one of you and me too to walk with God and be the only one doing it. How did he do it? How did he do it? He says he was a righteous man. Let's look at that for a second. He was a righteous man. The Bible tells us the only way for you and I to be righteous today is to give our lives to Jesus Christ. You can't be right with God on your own because we're all full of wrong, right? The only way we can be right with God is through Jesus Christ. It's not about what your hairstyle looks like or how good your, your language is, even though that's a factor that will come later. It's not about uh, what TV shows you do. The, the Bible says that at the very beginning, we have got to give our lives to God to repent of our sin, turn 180 degrees, walk the other direction, say, Jesus, I'm tired of having my control over my life. I'm giving you complete control. I'm giving you complete control over what I think, what I say, what I do, what I feel, what I want, what I need, what I think I need, and even that opinion I have about politics. I'm giving it all to you. Every single thing, i got to give it to Jesus. Romans tells us in chapter 3, verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus is for everyone who believes. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They have been justified just as if they'd never sinned as a gift Somebody say gift. By His grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Noah became righteous before God, even before Jesus was coming on this earth. Noah became righteous before God. He had right standing with God because of his faith. It's like Abraham. It was his faith that led him to have a, a, a relationship that would walk with God and give God full ownership. It was a complete trust. That's what faith means, trust. It, he had faith in who God was and what God could do for him and that God could save him. So by faith, it was a living faith. It wasn't just a profession of his mouth, but it was a faith that allowed him to say no to a lot of things. Noah said no to when he walked in that crowd and he went to the market to buy that lumber and all these guys were doing this and there's prostitutes sitting out in the front and, and I can just imagine that there's people getting murdered down the street and Noah's scared to go into town and Noah has to go into town and get the lumber. We're just making this up, right? He's got to go into town and get the lumber that he could have a sense that God, I trust you. And when offers were given to him and when people would cuss around him and when people would do this, he would say no. I trust God with the right way to live. I can say no to sin. And he would say no to his cravings. He would say no to his attitude because he trusted that God's way was the best way to live. Now, we have to have that kind of faith that will allow us to say no to sin. But it doesn't just stop there. This living faith, this righteousness that comes through faith doesn't come, this right living with God that comes through faith is not just about saying no, but it's also about saying yes. Noah had to say yes to say, God, I'll build that ark. Yes, God, I will preach righteousness. I will preach the truth that you are God alone. And you are the only way to salvation. And you are the only way that, I'm, that anyone in this world is going to make it. And he had to say yes 
to some things. Now, sometimes we want to focus on all the no's and all the don'ts, but Noah was also focused on all the do's. And that faith produced something in his life. It produced a person who was in right standing with God and said that God found favor in him. God favored him. You want to be favored today, church? We've got to focus on saying no to the sins of this world and saying yes to right living with God. There's so many things that we, we, God, I want your blessings. God, I want your favor. God, I want this blessing in my life. God, give me a job. Give me a good marriage. Give me all these things. But we've got to be willing to say my faith is strong enough to say no to all the cravings that are within me. And my faith is strong enough to say no to all the temptations of the devil. And my faith is strong enough to say right to right living. Yes, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. Noah was righteous before God because of his faith to say yes and to say no. God, I'm going to build you something. It says he was blameless. Colossians tell us that Jesus has reconciled us uh, by the flesh in his body through death, and he has presented us before God holy, blameless, and above reproach. And it says, but that's only if. I love how Paul says, he says, God has reconciled you. He's made you blameless. He's made you steadfast. But it's only if you continue in the faith firmly established, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You've got to be able to say no, and you've got to be able to say yes. God, I want to walk like you walk. Talk like you talk. Be like your son Jesus. And that faith has got to be strong enough in me. I believe judgment is coming. I believe redemption is coming. And if I really, really believe it, how should I live? Come on, think about it. If I really believe Jesus was coming today, I would not say yes to that sinful craving. If I really believe Jesus was coming today, I would witness to that person on the street. That's faith. That's obedience. Obedient sons and daughters. I love, and I would encourage you over this series to read 2 Peter with me, because 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 3 says this, that His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. And it says, for, these, for by these things, by this divine power, He has granted us His precious and magnificent promise. Everybody say power. Everybody say promise. He's given you these great promises that you may partake of His divine nature and escape the corruption of this world and its lusts. God has given you the power through the faith that you have that righteousness comes into your life, the Holy Spirit comes into you, the power of the Holy Spirit brings the divine nature of God to live within you, and by doing so and giving you that divine power and that divine nature, you will receive the promise of God and He's coming back to get you. He's coming back to get you. But church, we need the divine power of the Holy Spirit living within us. And it comes through our faith to be obedient children. Number two, truth talkers. Said so we've got to be obedient sons and daughters. Number two, you've got to be truth talkers. Truth talkers. Second Peter 2.5 tells us that Noah was a preacher. Do you know that? Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now, he may not have had a pulpit. He may not have had a church. But he was a man speaking forth the word of God for his generation. And what was he preaching? He was preaching how to have right standing with God. How to be in right relationship with God is all that means. You know, we live in a day today where people exploit others with lies. 
Churches are splitting off of gossip and division, going their own ways, people rebelling against authority. We live in a day today where evil is called good and good is called evil. I could quote you hundreds of examples of that from recent news. And we live in a day when people threaten us for speaking the truth. But what, was, what must we do? We live in a day of false doctrines and false teachings everywhere. Turn on the Christian TV, you'll see hundreds. Get to the Word. He preached right standing, right relationship with God. And today we've got to preach right standing, right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I say that number one, the truth must be established within us. Second Peter again, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, he says, The truth is established within you. How? And that divine Holy Spirit, that nature, that power of God comes in you when you live by faith and you become an obedient son and daughter. That, that divine nature comes in you in the truth of God, the truth of who Jesus Christ is and who He says He is and how He says He's coming back soon. It, Peter says it should be established. It should be firmly rooted to the depths of your soul. And if, your how, if your soul was a house, I should be able to go into your home and go through your living room and go to your a bedroom, and then go to your closet, and then and open up your closet, and go down into the, the bottom shoe drawer of your closet, and I should be able to tell that Jesus Christ lives here. In your heart, every single piece of us should be established in the Word of God, Jesus Christ. And there's something that that power, when it goes to the depths of our souls, it, it moves in us, uh, and it, it causes us, it should cause us to preach that Jesus is the only way. I'm telling you, this room is full of preachers today. I'm not the only preacher here. We are all called as preachers, prophets in this last days. Uh, you think about numbers and uh, you think about when Moses needed help to further the mission of God through the children of Israel in the wilderness. Uh, and the Holy Spirit came down and it began to anoint and fill uh, the elders. And what does Moses say to Joshua? He says, oh, I wish that all God's people were prophets. I wish that all God's people would speak forth the word of God for this generation. That's what he's saying. I wish all God's people were filled with the truth of God's awesomeness, of God's revelation, of God's power. And I wish it would come out from the inside of every single person in this camp. And that's what we say today from this church. I, I pray that every single person would be filled with the prophetic spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that would cause you to speak forth. You think about Jeremiah. What did he say? He said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones, right? You remember the story? Uh, and facing persecution, facing uh, death. He says, I can't help but speak forth how to be right with God. I can't help but preach the words that God has given me, no matter the consequences. You see, this is Noah. In these last days that the truth was so established within him that he could not keep it in. When's the last time, sir or ma'am, that you and I have had a word from God that we couldn't help but share? Has God spoken to you lately? Have we been meditating on the word of God and is the word of God just popping out into our spirits that it just burns within us all day long, that feeds us all day? That when we get up, maybe whether it's the oil rig or the schoolhouse or the the office building or, or home with the kids? Is there something burning within us, stirring within us, coming from the depths of the truth that is established within? Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and we must be truth talkers in the same. Peter says, stir up yourself, church. Remember, he's coming back. 
He is coming back. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony, and the end will come. You know, and despite great threats just like that, and and knowing this truth in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, man, when the apostles, man, the the government says, stop preaching, stop spreading this news, or we're going to put you in jail, we're going to shut your churches down, we're going to hang you all up. What do they do? They call a prayer meeting. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, The meeting place shook, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but it didn't just end with a good slaying of the Spirit and a good revival service, and, and then people were fell out and they went home. No, it says, They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went out and preached the Word of God with boldness. They went from the church house to the streets. Because the truth of God, when the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit really did come in you at this revival, it has to go all the way down deep to where it moves you and motivates you and fills you with words from God. That you must have no choice but to go down and speak the gospel to our neighbors and friends. Because if it's not there, if it's not burning within you, you ain't got it yet. I'll be honest. We ain't, we ain't all got it yet. We need to be a people. If, if Jesus is coming back, church, that same power, that Holy Spirit is ready to burn within us. Amen? Number three is peace walkers. Obedient sons and daughters, truth talkers, and peace walkers. It says that Noah walked with God. Very few people in the Bible does the Bible record that that actually happened. We think of Enoch, we think of Elijah, Noah, and Adam. They walked with God. Where is your walk with God leading you to? We have a unique relationship today with the Holy Spirit. He's God's agent on this world. God's Spirit is here to walk with us and talk with us. We're called to walk in the Spirit, and we not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Noah walked with the Spirit of God, and that walk led him to build a vessel of salvation. That walk led him to preach righteousness for a hundred years with no converts. That that, That walk with God led him to say no to sin and to yes to God. It, that, that walk with God, that intimacy with God, uh, allowed him to never lose his faith beside, despite ridicule, no doubt, and, and gossip and slander and, and humili- you know, that humiliation from the town that he lived in. Where is your walk with God taking you today? Matthew ten thirty eight tells us that if we do not take up our cross and follow after Jesus, we are not worthy of him. Where, where are we going spiritually, church? Are we, are we on a path that's going to lead us to a more intimate relationship with God? If you would, if you would take your spiritual walk today, and I would, I would put a string of your trajectory from where you were last month or last year, and if I could link the dots up, and I could shoot you a line of direction like surveyors do, and I could point you and I said, if you continue on this journey, if you continue at this pace in your walk with God, where would you be six months from now? Where would you be a year from now? Where would your family be? If you, if you continued in the same path, the same devotional life, the same prayer life, the same Bible reading, the same, the same intimacy in how you hear the Holy Spirit, the same experiences you're having with God on a daily basis, not at a revival service, but on a normal week, and I would point that out, would you be a person who is on fire, stirred up, reminding yourself that Jesus Christ is coming soon? Because the truth of the matter is that so many people can hear of the storm that's coming, 
but never pack their bags. There'll be so many church members who'll wake up and get there on that day, and he'll say, depart from me. I don't have a clue who you are. We don't have a relationship because there was no intimacy with the Holy Spirit. There was no depth of my love burning within you. There was no, there was no word for your generation. There's got to be a fire burning in the church today that's going to survive these days as they continue to increase in work and in the severity. But there's got to be something that is going to so steadfast that when Jesus Christ leaves us, he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give, but don't let your heart be troubled nor fearful. I will go away, but I will come to you. Man, there's got to be something that gets you through these times. He says, when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be afraid. Why? Because you and I know that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what this world does. I've got peace right here. Peace with God. Peace with God. Are you a peace walker today? That word actually means those who help others. Make peace with God. It means those who go out and are, are taking other people and showing them how uh, to have peace with God through Jesus Christ. God saves the righteous. He's our strength in times of trouble, Psalm says. He helps and delivers us from all of our fears, and He saves us because we will take refuge in Him. We get on the ark. We get a part of His church, and we start building it up. Those are the Noahs of their day. People who are engaged in building up God's church, His vessel of salvation. Are we obedient sons and daughters? Are we truth talkers? And are we peace walkers? Walking in the Spirit of God, at peace with God, and building up His church. Where are you going today? Because Jesus, He's coming. The day is so very near. He's coming. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come? Nobody moving around. Just take this solemn moment to respond to God today. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place to speak to every heart and life. God, may the words that I speak, Lord, I feel I've been obedient to your word today. God, that we would move from this moment. God, we receive it from you. God, that, Lord, it's not enough to hear it, but we must not just be hearers, but doers of your word, O God, that you would stir us up, Father, in these last days, bring these things to remembrance, God, that we can have an enduring spirit despite all craziness in this world. We can have a a, a spirit where there is no fear. God, and we can have a a relationship with you, a, a, a powerfully walk like Noah walked with you in a day when no one else did. And, Lord, we can be obedient sons and daughters because of the faith that resides within us. God, I pray that we would have it rooted so down deep, a living faith, not just a profession of faith that that goes and fades and comes and goes and gets us to church on Sunday, but, God, a living, breathing faith to say no to wrong living and yes to right living. And a, a word from God for this generation, every single person in this place, God, would be a truth talker a preacher of righteousness, God. And that those that are out there alone and feel like they can't make it on their own, God, Lord, that you would give them the fullness of the Holy Spirit and that divine power would come from that divine nature living within them, God, that they could have the fullness of the Holy Spirit to shake the house, God, 
and preach the word of God with boldness. If you're here today, I want you to know the biggest sign that is needed, the Bible says, has already come. That's the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no more statistics. There's no more signs. There's no more revelations needed. But that He's already come. If He's come once, He's going to come again. You're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, if I died today, the Lord came back today, I don't think I'd be ready. I need to give my full obedience to God. I need to be a child of God. I need to have peace with God and, and, and allow God to cover me with His blood inside and outside. I need to be saved. You want peace with God today and you're here and you say, that's me. I want to, maybe you've had faith, professing faith before, but you've never had that living faith. You, you've said it, you've, you've, maybe you've grown up in church your whole life, but there's, there's not been something that's stirring within you, that new nature. You say, I'd like to have that experience today. You just raise your hand, I want to pray with you. So that's me, Pastor Heath. I, I really need to have that experience with God that changes me. Not just something I'm saying, but something that I'm becoming. Just one more second. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Hallelujah, Lord God. Anybody else? No more important thing than that. Hallelujah, Lord God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. But it's more than just that confession. It's a full repentance and a belief that He is who He says He is. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And if that's you, you just pray a prayer like this with me. But it's more than something we're praying. It's something that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to come inside. I believe if you pray and truly mean to give your life to Jesus Christ, and maybe you've done it before and you're just uh, re- resubmitting today. Uh, God, I just pray today for those here today that have raised their hands. God, that we profess you, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, the only way, the truth, the life, to heaven and peace with God. You died on the cross. Lord, you shed your blood for our sin. And you have made us in right relationship with you, God, when we believe on you and we follow you. And so, Father, I pray for those here today rededicating their life to you. God, that we pray for a born-again experience even right where they're sitting, God. That the Holy Spirit would come in. And, Lord, it's more than just coming to an altar, God. It's going out from this place being different making the choice to say no to wrong living and yes to right living and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us with power each and every day, crucifying the flesh. God, that it is a lifelong commitment to be with you. God, it's a relationship, not a religion, God. Hallelujah. If you pray a prayer and you believe that and you begin to live that life, you are saved and we pray enduring spirit within you that God would just move you and take you to a deeper place in Him. And I want to encourage you uh, to join our First Steps Bible study uh, this, this coming Sunday, Sunday morning, 9.30. Be there. And we will help give you the tools and resources you need to continue and grow this relationship. And we're going to have a response in a moment. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, I need to be stirred up. I'm tired of just kind of just, I, I've been just going through the motions too long. And, and, and maybe you're going good with God, but you say... Where I want my trajectory, I want my, my walk with God to go deeper, more power, more fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I, I need the joy of the Lord, the peace of God. Maybe, in, maybe you're, you're struggling to get by and to live rightly. And you say, I need that divine nature, that divine power of the Holy Spirit to fill me up. 
to be a truth talker and a peace walker. How many would say that's me? I'm just going to pray for you today. That's me, Pastor, just with a raise of hands. I need that, I need that fullness, that power to live rightly, to just wait for His coming. Be ready. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? So that's me. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah, Lord God. Lord, I pray for these today in the name of Jesus. We're not just going to go through the motions, God, but you're going to stir up your church to preach righteousness, to do great and mighty things in these last days. And Lord, your word says that signs will follow those who believe. God, you're going to stir up your church with the divine power of the Holy Spirit. I believe, God, the best days of your church are yet ahead, Lord, as those who would be like Noah to walk with God, righteous and blameless before you, to choose to live rightly in these last days. God, you're going to enable us to do that in the peace of God. In Jesus' holy name. Somebody said? Amen. Amen.